Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist Midweek Podcast. I'm your host, Jorge Gil. I'm one of the speakers at crossexamine.org, and I'm here with Dr. John Ferrer, another one of our speakers, and we're going to be talking about what apologetics can and cannot do. We actually focus a lot of our time and resources here at crossexamine.org to teach people how to defend the faith. That's what apologetics does to give evidence for the faith, for the Christian faith. But um, we, as apologists, have also done some things that kind of give us or put us in a negative light. Uh, apologetics has been also... Um, put in a category where sometimes people think that that's all we need to be able to bring people to the foot of the cross. So here we want to talk about on this episode on the things that we can and cannot do through apologetics. Now, apologetics is a beautiful, beautiful exercise, is a is a an incredible tool to bring a bunch of other fields together to give us a robust case in favor of the Christian faith. But we also want to make sure that with humility, we realize that it has its limits. Now, I'm going to bring in John to give us a bit of the insights that he's been able to gather throughout his years as an educator and also a person who has really done his research and his work when it comes to apologetics. So without further ado, how you doing, John? Hey, Jorge. I'm doing well. So let's talk a little bit about apologetics. Let's start with what that word means, apologia. So apologetics is the defense of the historic Christian faith. Now you could apply apologetics to anything and it's defending anything. You could have a defense for your favorite sports team. I'm a Carolina Panthers fan. And if I'm making a case that somehow contrary to the best evidence, Carolina is the best team in the NFL, I would be making a defense, given an apologetic for them. Now, I wouldn't make that case as much of a fan as I am. I'm not prepared to to go contrary to <laughs> the facts of the matter, which is that they're not really doing that great so far um, in the offseason. But uh, that's another discussion for another day. But the the long and short of it is apologetics refers to that that field and or that skill wherein you're trying to defend something and often that's fed not so much through merely intellectual matters uh knowledge information data often it, it flows at least as much or more so from the heart from your passion that is you defend the things you love mm -hmm. and people who have no interest in defending the historic Christian faith uh, or defending different elements of it or defending certain teachings of the faith, if they're not interested in apologetics at any level, then that raises a genuine question. To what extent do you really love the truth of Christ? Mm. Is Christ someone you love enough to defend? And if you're not willing to defend, what does that say about the kind of relationship you have with him if he could be defaced and, and defamed in the public square. People can tell all sorts of lies about him. Um, the the truth of, of Christianity can just be disparaged and run into the ground. And if you can stand idly by without offering even a word of defense, I think that's not so much a, a check on your intellect as it is a check on how much how, how much do you love Jesus? Right. In your relationship yeah. with Jesus. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. that's a very interesting point because in the world of apologetics, you know, people like you, like myself, like Frank and many others mm -hmm. out there who are doing great work in this field. Uh, a lot of us kind of have that reputation of being geeky or nerdy or being, <laughs> you know, Bible nerds and, and, and doing yeah. all of that. But but like you said, this 
deep desire to defend God and his word should come from the relationship that you have. How much you see the beauty of Jesus, the love that you have for Jesus, the relationship that you have with Jesus. And when somebody, let's let's use this this uh, analogy, when somebody talks bad about your wife, you know how beautiful and lovely and kind and hardworking your wife is. Mm-hmm. You want to make an apologetics, you yes. know, in favor yes. of your wife's character, right? Mm-hmm. And and we are the bride of Christ, right? And we, are, we should mm-hmm. be out there defending the truth because in that truth there is salvation. And we should yeah. also always take into consideration the idea that this is not something that we're doing just to win arguments. And this is one of the the main misconceptions about apologetics. And let's let's jump into that. You know, that apologetics is just there to win arguments. And we as apologists, nine times out of ten, forget about winning souls, which is the yeah. ultimate goal. So what are what are you say the biggest misconceptions about apologetics? Well, I think there are two sides to that question. What are the biggest misconceptions about apologetics from apologists? And then what are the biggest misconceptions about apologetics from people who aren't into apologetics? They aren't trying to do it. They may not have a high view of it. What do they think apologetics is and how are they misunderstanding it? I think these two kind of feed into each other in that one of the biggest misconceptions apologists have about it is we tend to treat it Regardless of what we think about it, we tend mm-hmm. to do it and treat it like it's just argumentation. It's just mm. argumentative people arguing over over doctrinal matters or arguing over ideas and philosophy, you know, the heady intellectual type of stuff. And that's certainly part of, of mm-hmm. the broader umbrella of what apologetics is. Uh, but there's a lot of ways you can defend the faith. Um, uh when St. Peter is using the, the phrasing of apologia when he talks about always be prepared to give an answer, uh, give a defense for mm-hmm. the historic Christian faith, um, there may be an intellectual, rational, philosophical component to it. But in context, he's talking to people who are facing persecution. Uh, he's talking to people who their their life is actively being threatened. Their their job, their their civil status is actively being threatened. How are those kinds of people supposed to give a defense? Well, rational argumentation is one of them, but mm-hmm. a lot of it is just being morally distinct. Live out the countercultural lifestyle that that Christ uh, models and, and commands us to. That's a big part of our defense. Do family in a way that, that contradicts the, the bad teachings about family relationships that are popular in society. Yeah. Um, so those are still aspects of giving a defense. Now, formally speaking, when folks talk about apologetics, they're usually talking about, uh, rational argumentation, but it's not just that. It goes beyond that. Now, because many apologists are doing apologetics in a way that makes it look like it's just a bunch of argumentative people arguing, that gives us a reputation for those outside the church that these are just a bunch of argumentative people, nitpicky, uh, pedantic, uh, um, insatiable. Nothing you say or do will satisfy them Mm because they're always going to find mm -hmm. some way to take a word you just said and and get upset about it. Right. And and that's, that's not the kind of person that you invite to your parties. Right. It's not the kind of person that that you want. Yeah. So what, what you're saying is that, that we as apologists have a bad reputation because of this, because we, we are argumentative. We are always, uh, even within the church, we Mm -hmm. are, kind of fighting against each other and yeah. we give emphasis to these uh, intellectual arguments and we mm-hmm. leave the relational uh, aspect of it to the side. I think that was very, yeah. very interesting how we're now involved in a culture war yeah. and our behavior and our Christian morals are a very powerful apologetics. Let's Let's mm-hmm. look at someone like Mike Pence that was mm-hmm. made fun because he lived by the Modesto Manifesto, right? He yeah. don't want to be in a room with another woman, 
you know, that is not his wife and just, yeah. you know, him and, and the other woman. That's something that for many is like, oh, how antiquated. But it is something that has yeah. a lot to do with the way he wants to take care of himself morally. Right. Yeah. So I think that that is one of the aspects that we don't talk about much. Now, mm-hmm. uh, tell me a little bit more about this bad rap that you, we get as apologists. Yeah, well, well, I think the some of the good intention behind apologists is that we recognize that we are engaged in spiritual warfare as a church. This isn't just a metaphor. This is literal. There is literal spiritual warfare going on right. in lives and families, relationships, society. These are all potentially plunder. And right now, the the, the wreckage in the landscape is what, what we spend so much of our time lamenting in in our apologetics diatribes. And so folks that recognize that there's a spiritual warfare going on uh, might therefore recognize we need to be the church militant. Uh, that's a that's a classic phrase that that believers use to describe all living believers, all Christians, the church capital C is the church militant. Uh, and the church at rest, those are the believers that have passed on, believers who've who've died and they're with their Savior now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are the church militant, and that's the normal disposition because spiritual warfare is, is what's going on. It's a dimension of everything that's going on. And so apologists rightly recognize that church should at least have this aspect wherein we're training people for spiritual warfare. We're training them to be soldiers for truth. Now, of course— that creates a challenge if the normal paradigm that churches are operating under isn't church militant, it's church therapeutic. Mm-hmm. It's we are trying to minister to hurting souls and, and true. There's nothing wrong with that in, in principle, but there, there's a balancing act. And if we get out of balance, then apologists just come off as overly militant, aggressive, argumentative, uh, and, and the church ends up becoming too hostile to that, too, too uh, uh, unwilling to embrace that aspect. And so they're not really training believers for spiritual warfare. They're training them to feel happier and healthier and more whole, but not necessarily training them to be useful. Yeah, in, to in be out in the trenches. Righteous causes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I kind of gravitate to apologetics in part because it's there, there's, there's this macho, combative... Uh, competitive aspect to mm-hmm. Christian thought life that that is downplayed and ignored in a lot of contemporary church culture. Uh, but historically, that hasn't always been the case. Now, if I go out and I take that and I go hog wild and, and I'm starting arguments everywhere I go, and I'm, I'm uh, considering myself this deputy Holy Spirit and trying to, to pinpoint everybody else's sins and say, this mm-hmm. is wrong, this teacher needs to repent, this church. If I can, I can just make a stink of myself mm-hmm. because none of that truth-seeking is necessarily uh, balanced with the, the wider Christian responsibilities that we have of being agents of reconciliation, being peacemakers, uh, not just throwing truth bombs from a distance, but going in into people's lives and engaging, getting in the thick of it, getting down yes. in the mud and living the hard parts of their life with them so that they know they're not alone. And then we can bring in the the truth and the different challenging aspects in balance with grace and love. And it's, and it's in that bigger picture, that balance where we have wisdom and love and truth and grace and, and, and orthodoxy. All of that works together in this big ball of wax. Uh, it's when we compartmentalize that we end up imbalanced and just coming off like all salt and no recipe. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. This is so good because in the era of the digital ministry, you mm-hmm. right now we have YouTube ministries. We have apologetics ministries that are solely based on digital platforms, TikTok, yeah. Instagram, YouTube. And we see a lot of these bad apples out there. Now, I, I, I want to be clear. The majority of them, I will say 95% of those ministries are doing amazing work. They are my friends. I actually mm-hmm. advise a lot of them. Um, part of what I do is to focus, especially here in Cross-Examine, I'm the 
uh, technology and innovation director. So I, I am eager to use these tools that the Lord has given us to reach out the younger generations um, and, to, and to be able to get uh, the message far and wide through the digital platforms that exist today. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I see is how much more colder things get online and how easy it is yeah. for people to hide behind an anonymous account and to start beating people down. Now, some of them might have great intentions, but their execution is poor and the other way yeah. around. You know, intent is always prior to content. You know, the intentions that we have mm-hmm. is always prior to the way that we execute things and the goals that we might have for a conversation. And we see, you know, that if the one-on-one in-person execution of this apologetics enterprise sometimes mm-hmm. can get uh, can go the negative route because we forget about the relationship, this is yeah. magnified times a hundred on yeah. social media, and we we and we are uh, guilty of that many many a times. Now I wanna I wanna ask you to give mm-hmm. me. Uh, a few of the things uh, that apologetics can do yeah. and a few of the things of, that apologetics cannot do, you know, because we have an idea that uh, some of us that apologetics can do everything and bring people to the foot of the cross and that apologetics yeah. has no limits. And, you know, we we, we see a, a group of people, I will say, and, and, and they are they are passionate about it. They want to be the next mm-hmm. William Lane Craig, but sometimes their execution yep. comes uh, uh, at a cost, right? At a yeah. cost to our reputation, at a cost to to even the enterprise of apologetics. So, give us a few a few of the list uh, the items that you have on a list of what apologetics can do and what apologetics cannot do. Yeah, the whole time you're you're framing that question, I'm picturing someone who has a hammer and is treating everything like a nail. Like a nail, because, that's right. Yeah, they yeah. they've got their apologetics and they want to use that to to repair everything. Apologetics as, as a field and as a skill and as a passion. I'm thinking of it in sort of a threefold dynamic there. Uh, apologetics is a field of knowledge as it's a a passion, uh, a, dispos- a disposition of the heart, uh, something that's fueled by love and, and, and zeal. Um, but it's also a skill to where you have to get practice. You have to learn how to do it right. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, apologetics can be great for refuting heresy and for helping to reinforce and fortify orthodox teaching, the historic Christian teachings of the church. Uh, it can answer bad ideas with good ideas. It can clarify where our theology is cloudy so that you can get a better sense of what you mean by these terms. Um, We're not always dealing in heresy when you've got uh, cloudy language. Sometimes it's just we don't have the, the words. And good apologetics can help say, oh, do you mean it like this? Or do you mean it like that? Mm. Uh, apologetics can enrich your thought life and your study habits. It can uh, help you cultivate better communication skills. Uh, it can de- help you develop the academic tradition in a denomination or in a church or even in a family. Mm. Um, I found a lot of what drove me to apologetics was this concern for the thought life and, and the intellectual aspect of historic Christianity. Because we we might get taught, here's what to believe, but we're not necessarily taught why we believe it, uh, or what are the implications of that, or what does that look like, or how do we spot it and apply it in different parts of society? Because uh, we're you, we we often in church, we're leaving those separated so that you don't see how that goes together uh, intellectually. And for anyone who's who's a thinker, who, who's, who enjoys school, who enjoys learning, who enjoys studying, um, a lot of times that kind of person isn't really uh, embraced by the church. We don't necessarily know as a church what to do with people that ask questions that aren't in the Sunday school guide. We don't necessarily know what to do with them. So that intellectual life of the church is one thing that drove me to apologetics so that I could kind of help reinforce and build that part up so that we can love the Lord our God, not just with our feelings, not just with our hands, uh, not just with our will and our choice and our faith, but also with our minds, this this holistic act of service. So uh, apologetics can develop the academic intellectual traditions yeah. in a denomination, in a church, or in a family. Uh, it could It could 
um, lend richness to your education and your discipleship. Uh, it can help uncover uh, implications and, and um, inferences within different Christian ideas or other ideas. Uh, it can help you protect loved ones from pernicious ideologies. This is a big reason why Hillary, my wife, started mm -hmm. Mama Bear Apologetics, Absolutely. is she saw all these moms who were clamoring for for some some um, sense of what to do with what's going on with their kids in schools. Uh, how do we, we help these kids along so that they stay in the faith and aren't just casualties of the youth exodus? Um, apologetics is an act of love towards the upcoming generation so that they are better protected understanding that we're imparting this rich heritage in christ and if you're just throwing it away it's it's quite likely because you didn't understand what a great thing mm -hmm. you had mm -hmm. uh you were just presented with the surface appearance of it and not a deep rich understanding of just how invaluable and 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 uh, critically important this is for life and, and eternity. Yeah, absolutely. At the yeah, end of that's the just day, some of the things that it's 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 good for. I didn't get into yeah. the what it, what it can't do just yet. Yeah, and yeah. and I think that we have to emphasize um, that apologetics in this day and age is done very differently, right? Mm -hmm. Than it was done, let's say fifty, let's say seventy five years ago, mm -hmm. uh, even twenty years ago, ten years ago. You yeah. know. With the, with the um, the development of social media and the explosion of, of the mm -hmm. internet, right, and all the different ways that we're able to communicate nowadays. And new uh, atheism has, yeah. has kind of uh, gone over the horizon. Uh, it's come and gone in many ways. Not gone, right. gone, but it's, it's gone, changed, but yeah. it's morphed. But, and uh, now we have yeah. progressive Christianity kind of taking root, you know, we have all these other Wokeism. bad ideologies. Yeah, all these bad ideologies kind of taking taking a hold of our kids' minds. So let's 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 and talk about the what, conversation, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, a yeah. whole lot. And and apologetics has changed. But before we talk about how how apologetics has changed over the years maybe or or how how we have mm -hmm. to change the way we engage in the apologetics enterprise. Yeah. Let's talk about the things that apologetics cannot do. Because a lot of people, again, still have this idea that apologetics can do it all. <laughs> and they go into the field of apologetics with this idea that once you know apologetics, everybody that I know will become a Christian because I will have all the answers and I yeah. will be able to debunk yeah. all these bad yeah. ideas that they yeah. have. Let's talk about what apologetics cannot do, John. Well, apologetics, as we noted, is is it's probably not just a hammer that you use to hammer nails and you treat everything like a nail, so you start hammering it. It's probably more like a tool bag uh, that, that there's a lot of options within it. But even still, um, apologetics, understood as a field of theology or a field of philosophy, uh, is still one aspect of the larger uh, operation of the church. Uh, the church is supposed to be an instrument of evangelism, uh, discipleship, uh, worship, ministry, and caregiving. And, and apologetics can serve all of those, but it doesn't replace any of those. Mm. Uh, and, and what kind of things is it really good at? We talked about those. Uh, and by implication, it's not really good necessarily at silencing heretics. It can help you spot them and call them out. But it's not necessarily going to equip you to leverage power to be able to silence false mm. teaching. At mm -hmm. best, it can help you to, to pinpoint it so that people who are like-minded and want to avoid false teaching and avoid the heretics uh, can hear these warnings and stay away. Uh, mm. Apologetics can't replace your devotional or meditational life. No amount of, of reading the books and learning the answers uh, necessarily means that you are growing richer and deeper in your personal relational understanding with, with Jesus Christ, uh, your devotional life with him, who you are with Christ when no one else is around, when no one else is watching, uh, when no one else, uh, when, in secret, that devotional life. Apologetics might be able to, to strengthen your mind, but you still have a heart life and private disciplines that, that you have to be investing to be growing in the faith at a personal level. And of course, it doesn't replace evangelism. Now, now it can be tremendously empowering to your evangelism. 
lots of lots of ministers have found that that when they are trying to communicate the Christian faith to people who aren't believers and, and present it in ways that answers the questions and and speaks to the challenges that they face so that they they see Christ for all of his winsome beauty, uh, apologetics can go hand in hand with evangelism, but it doesn't replace it and it never has, probably never will. Um, you can do all the argumentation and answering, but if you stop short of saying, uh, are you willing to let Christ be Lord of your life? If you do yeah. all of that and stop there and don't, don't take it the rest of the way, you're fumbling on the one yard line. Right. Um, apologetics is tremendously important and powerful. It, it's something like the, the combat aspects of, of uh, running, taking the ball down the field. But if you never get into the end zone, then you're still not winning. Uh, at some point, there, there has to be some transition from um, just communicating information to life application. Here's what I do with this knowledge that Jesus should be Lord of my life. Now let's make him Lord of my life. And that's the evangelism part. Also, apologetics can't change people's minds. That's maybe psychology, the, the skill of persuasion. You can give people truth upon truth after truth. You can line up a, a whole series of evidences. You can tailor it to whatever is most persuasive to them, but people still have a choice to make. And if a person does not want to believe, no amount of evidence will persuade them. It can, however, clear away the fog so that the real reasons for non-belief are patently obvious. But mm -hmm. people still have to they have a choice to make. Uh, and that, to, on that note, apologetics can't make anyone believe in Jesus. Mm. There is no such thing as a rational proof that compels the will. Right. Uh, there's still and, and an let's, act of the will. Let's, let's focus on that because I've heard it a million and one times. Uh, people say that, you know, apologetics will never convert anyone. And then I have the other side when people are saying, oh, I came through faith to apologetics. But I think making that... Yeah. Fine distinction that you just made right there is very important because it's, yeah. it's not either or, it's both and. Yeah. You know, you apologetics will bring you that they will clear all the obstacles and then you will face to face with the truth. But that's the difference that uh, between believe that and believe in. Go ahead on and, yeah. and expand on that a little bit and make it clearer for our hearers. Yeah, to build on that phrase you just used, believe that versus belief in. Occasionally we'll end up in discussions, I'll end up in discussions with atheists um, who are kind of retreating in this, this knowledge of belief and faith that it's intellectually assenting to some proposition that, that Jesus is God. And if you grant that at, at some theoretical, ideological level, um, what, does that, what does that do? And, and they could say, I could try to believe it with, with the evidence you give me, but I just don't. It's, it's not compelling. What you're saying isn't, isn't winsome to me. And I would have to back up and say, uh, for one thing, even if you granted that proposition, uh, the Christian faith is, is a call not just into intellectual assent, though that's definitely an aspect of what's going mm -hmm. on when people go from non-believer non to believer. That's definitely an aspect. Uh, but faith is also fidelity, as in relational faith, faithfulness. And there's there's the beginning of a relationship that is, is premised on uh, some, some kind of head knowledge, but it still has to go from belief that Jesus is Lord to belief in Jesus is Lord. Mm. Yeah, that, that idea has to sink the 15, the proverbial 15 inches from the head to the heart so that mm. it's not just something intellectual, but it becomes something uh, more holistic and complete that, that in, engages you at a relational level. Um, so I, I'm glad you stopped me there because it would be easy for someone to hear what I just said and think, oh, I just disagreed. He just disagreed with right. C.S. Lewis and and right. Lee Strobel, people who say the art that apologetics they won them over through their faith. faith. Yeah, yeah. I I think what they they would say in this kind of conversation is the the apologetics creates that that clear pathway, clears away the fog, so that you are faced with a real challenge point. What are you going to do with this evidence that Jesus is Lord? And apologetics serves for that challenge point. And then mm -hmm. at a volitional level, we have to 
uh, accept. There, there's a right. humility there. Now, now, according to your theological system, some would say no one's going to accept unless God intervenes with some gift of faith. And then that's where their will is turned, and it's it's God plays some some explicit interactive role there to make that w- will turn. Others would say you have that capacity within you. I'm not going to go there, but whatever right. happens in that mystical moment, um, there's still a choice to be made. Right. Whether God makes it makes it a live choice or you already had a live choice, that's a different theological debate. But the point being, the apologetics serves that moment. But you still have to step over the line. Let me let me uh, pick it up here and ask you: What do you mean when you say um, apologetics cannot make you loving? Because this is something mm. that I struggle with for years. I had a live stream show that will go on several mm. platforms every morning at nine thirty, yeah. and a lot of my close friends will send me direct messages and say, hey, Jorge, I know that you're doing a segment on your show where you're breaking down kind of the fallacies or the bad kind of arguments that Mm -hmm. uh, atheists or, Mm -hmm. you know, people who are not Christians are making in the comment section. And I think you can be a little bit nicer because I would I would be (laughs) not the nicest person. I mean, even though what I was saying was right, you know, that I, when I mm-hmm. says I was breaking down their arguments, I was not making any any logical fallacies or I didn't have any issues in in my reasoning. The way that I was doing it, it was turning people off and people mm-hmm. were saying, hey, I love your show. But when you get to that section, sometimes I just turn it off because you come across as pedantic. You come across as being a know-it-all, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then I started to to, to say to myself, okay, ask God, God, please help me to be able to see these people the way you see them. Lend me uh, your eyes so I can see them and love them in the way that you that you, that you do. Mm-hmm. And that softened my heart and allowed me to be more loving. But why is it that sometimes, and I see it very frequently, that apologetics mm-hmm. sometimes turn you into a jerk until, you know, you mm-hmm. open your heart to the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit start working yeah. in you and, and and allows you to see that at the end of the day is not a race that you're actually dealing with human beings who are created in the image and likeness mm-hmm. of God and they have intrinsic value and that you should be treating them in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good observation. Um sometimes you've got jerks who gravitate to apologetics. Sometimes people gravitate to apologetics, and the way they interact with apologetics, they become jerks. <laughs> but is it the jerkiness that, that led them to a field that, that prioritizes argumentation right. and, and all of that? Or is, is there some misconception that sneaks in, and they start taking uh, the field of apologetics, and they apply it in a ways that their, their spiritual growth veers more towards being a jerk? Um, I, I would imagine both happen. Um, I, I think your friends are wise to, and this is the value of church. Apologetics doesn't, doesn't necessarily, uh, it definitely doesn't replace the church. It doesn't put you in a position where you don't need the accountability, the interaction, Mm -hmm. the sword sharpening sword so that we're becoming better through our interactions with other believers. But a lot of what you're talking about, it sounds like it's just, it's part of a growth process. And unfortunately, a lot of folks, once they get exposed to apologetics and they start cultivating that passion for truth, uh, they don't necessarily have the balance. They don't have the poise and the control to do it in a way that that manifests the love and beauty of Christ along with the truth of Christ. They're all truth and no grace. They're, they're, they're all uh, conviction and challenge and, and theology and doctrine, uh, but not necessarily any of the softer elements. Uh, you might say it, it it's, it's all drill so- sergeant, but no mothering. <laughs> it's... Mm. it's if you're training folks to to be spiritual warriors for truth, fit for the battlefield, they're going to need both. Mm-hmm. You need the drill sergeant to to de- help you develop that thick skin and to have the bravery and the courage uh, to be able to endure all the attacks that you're going to be facing if you're standing up for truth. That's invaluable. But if you uh, can't 
can't really get out of the crib because of neglect because you you haven't been mothered well you haven't right. haven't had the softer aspects uh in the in the more formative stages as a, as a young one then you'll never get to that drill sergeant point so so our maturity our growth into the faith hopefully is going to be refined in the course of our involvement in the local church uh, our humility as we're interacting with others as we're embodying the fruits of the spirit it's it's very holistic and as as long as we treat apologetics like the set apart thing that somehow i'm i'm exempt from all of these lesser matters mm-hmm. the, the spiritual maturity the the fruits of the spirit i'm just going to hyper focus on theology if we think that we are somehow exempt from the the general call to all christians to be like that then we think too much of ourselves and so hum- humility needs to come in before we get humiliated and realize, oh, I've been getting it wrong this whole time. Wow. And n- let me say something and let's let's use this point and then we go to the next question. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of apologetics cannot make you a wise person because a lot of people realize, okay, I got all this information. I have mm-hmm. all this yeah. knowledge. So now I'm a wise guy. I'm going to go in there and yeah. I'm going to help everybody see things clearly. Why, why is it that apologetics cannot make you wise? Uh, a couple things. One, and I'm sure you're very well aware of this, um, knowledge isn't wisdom. You can have the, all the know-how and, not, and still not know how to do anything with it um, because we're dealing with people. You're not dealing with with floating brains that are purely mm. rational and they're they're persuaded whenever given sufficient evidence. You're dealing with people, and people have biases. People have emotional commitments. People have relational ties. There's power dynamics, and to be able to navigate with all of those different dimensions operating at the same time, so that we're ministering to people and then taking. Uh, life-giving truth along with us through that journey, uh, it's it's going to take a lot of skill and, and learning how to uh, get there and how to create those encounters with people that, that we can impart something that's actually bl- a blessing to them and it's received as, as truth and wisdom. Uh, but wisdom, it, it's, it's not cultivated just with a bunch of information. And so you can mm-hmm. learn all the apologetics knowledge, the, the scientia, the, the information. Um, and if you haven't been learning how people work and learning about yourself in the mm-hmm. process and humbly submitting your efforts to Christ and growing as a minister in the process, then your approach to apologetics is going to be more like truth bombs rather mm. than actually relating with yeah. people in ways that, that they want to become more like Christ because of their relationship with you. That's so good. My wife always says that uh, wisdom is more like um, a proper, properly applied knowledge. Mm-hmm. You know, when we have that experience and we have that knowledge, and then we can able we were able to to share it the right way at the right moment with the right tone, yeah. right? And that's because she works in the in the field of information and the field of relationships, and uh, mm-hmm. she always uses that phrase. So, John, now. How has your own views of apologetics changed over the years? Because I know you started many years ago. You you actually went to Southern Evangelical Seminary. You got mm-hmm. a degree in the field. And for all of those who are listening to us right now, you can go to ses.edu forward slash Frank. You will see all the information there because we have a scholarship uh, name under, uh, after Frank. And I think you're able to get a very cheap tuition if you applied at ses.edu forward slash frank so you went through the whole training of apologetics Mm -hmm. you also have degrees in other fields but how have your views changed over the years so maybe how has apologetics itself changed over the years john Uh, great great question as as a field um i've seen it grow a lot in different hubs and people's understanding and awareness of apologetics has grown over the years. Uh, back when I started at SES in about 2002, I think summer of 2002, I took a class, uh, Cults, with Ron Rhodes. And at that time, my initial thought about apologetics was, this is basically preparing believers to be able to have meaningful evangelistic conversations 
with people who are in the cults. That's my, my general assessment of what apologetics mm-hmm. was at the time. Now, I had a great experience in that class and I was hooked. I, I, I knew I, I enjoyed apologetics, but I still had only, only a sliver of apologetics in mind when I was talking about apologetics. Um, so I enjoyed that class before then I had, um, uh, I was already making friendships with Mormons. There were some Mormons that, um, they, they were advertising on the TV. It said, um, call for your free copy of the book of Mormon. I was like, free books. I like free books. And then I can meet up with some Mormons. Sure. And I thought they were just going to mail it to me. Uh, but they personally, they use that as that's their evangelistic ploy. They, they use that to come to the door and talk with you about the book. And then their challenge point at the end of that first conversation is going to be, uh, uh, will you read this book and pray to see if it's true? And that was mm. their challenge point for it. And, you know, 10 meetings later, uh, like they've got a whole schedule. Like by the 10th meeting, you're supposed to be like uh, one or two years into your your own Mormon uh, membership by that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I think number six, you're supposed to be a baptized Mormon by that time. Well, I'm on number 10 and I'm still arguing over, over theology with them. Uh, but, you know, learning how to be friendly and learning how to care about them and still keep uh, a close eye on truth and, and be be coaching, nudging, steering the conversation towards challenging truth points, but the whole while trying to earn trust and, and uh, develop a relationship there. So I was already doing that before I started at SES. Now, by the time I, I was taking uh, other classes, not the summer classes, but the semester classes, uh, I, was, I was rapidly expanding in my understanding of what apologetics is, how it works, uh, what it's good for. And I started becoming aware of the, the meta level questions, the, what is it, uh, what do you have to believe to be able to believe that Jesus is Lord? Mm -hmm. Uh, what, what do you have to believe about reality? What, what do you have to believe about our own ability to think and, and interpret before we can read God's truth in scripture. Uh, and, and so that whole meta level just expanded things for me. I became more aware of the philosophy, uh, undergirding nuanced, sophisticated theology, and, and just everything was expanding. And every day I'd go to class uh, and, and just be mind blown about how little I really knew, how much more there is to know. Um, and so I got that experience over three and a half uh, to four years. I, I finished my MDiv there, and uh, I was working in local church ministry at the time. And my apologetics role was primarily as sort of a theological fact checker and sort of a, an idea guy as we were developing sermons uh, within a small church planting network. I went off to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth. And I was already heavily engaged in apologetics. I knew this is what I wanted to do for my life, but I was thinking it was going to primarily be uh, as a teacher. I was aiming more for academia by that time. Um, and I was doing apologetics uh, in, in much the same vein that, that I picked up at Southern Evangelical. So we're aiming largely at new atheists and Jesus seminar, which was a thing. Um, uh, theological liberalism, um, and how do we argue that God exists? And that was sort of the the central focus, and everything else was sort of a satellite around that. But mainly, we're trying to argue that God exists, and then use that to lead into evidences for the Bible and for the resurrection, and hopefully persuade people to the truth of Christ. And I think that's a big part of what cross-examined is, and that's that's a big part of what classical apologetics uh, mm-hmm. is. And that's, that's a big part of what apologetics still is today. But over the past maybe uh, three to eight years, um, it looks like a lot of the, the sociocultural landscape for apologetics has shifted radically. Uh, as questions of whether God exists are now being being supplanted, being replaced with questions about whether Christianity is a bigoted, intolerant set of ideas that should even mm. be allowed in the public square. Uh, the the wokeism uh, conception of Christianity as a general bad for society, and how can we expunge it from society? That's become 
a more common disposition nowadays, which means as apologists, um, our task has shifted several steps uh, more basic, not um, how can we take this common belief that truth is knowable and help people to see Jesus as the truth? How can we take uh, where people are at, where they might not believe that there is such a thing as objective truth? Uh, they might not believe that that Christianity is is worth any value in society. That they might not believe in free speech. They might not believe in freedom of religion. They might think all of those are, are outdated. And so, how do we conduct our apologetics task in that environment? And I think that's more where apologetics broadly is living today, for mm. the sake of being relevant to people that that need, still need Jesus as much as they ever did, but the starting points keep pushing further and further back. Back, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I have witnessed that. I think that not only here in the States, but I see that happening globally. I mm. travel to Latin America a lot, and I go to universities down there, and I go to churches, and I go do trainings, and it's the same pattern. More and more and more, we have to go further back and start it a completely different uh, starting point that we did, you know, 20 mm -hmm. years ago, 10 yeah. years ago. So now just the last questions now, the uh, last question to wrap this up, John, mm -hmm. and it's been an amazing conversation. Hopefully people now know what apologetics can and cannot do and have a better idea mm -hmm. of why we engage in the field of apologetics here at crossexamine.org and why we have the blessing to be able to be out in the, in the front lines, uh, you know, dispelling bad ideas and doing it uh, not only on the intellectual side, but also on the relational side and seeing people mm -hmm. for what they are, who are, yeah. you know, uh, made in the image of God. So what advice would you give a young person who says that they want to be an apologist? There are mm -hmm. hundreds of people out there, young men and women, who want to engage in apologetics. And what would you tell them? For them to start on a, in apologetics, in in and not make the mistakes that we ha we have made, and some of the uh, this uh, do away with the ideas, uh, the bad ideas that we have presented here, in relation to how not do apologetics, and and know that apologetics has its limits. That's that's a insightful application question. Um, thank you for asking. Um, I would suggest that for young people coming up or, or anyone who's just new and they they yeah. they, they got the bug <laughs> that something about apologetics uh, triggers in them and they're like, that's what I want. That's what I'm interested in. Um, I would encourage them uh, to love people through apologetics. So let mm. your motivation, let the underlying motivation behind this be your love for people that will shape uh, how you go about doing it, and it will also so help uh, fuel what you're doing. Um, so, for example, if you've got a, a an LGBT uh, family member, and you're you come to me asking for answers, how do we how do we answer them with with the Bible? I would I would ask them to as you're digging into this apologetics issue think about that person that that you care about and and how that conversation can go and what what answers you would want to be able to have and how you could could present that to them in ways that would be a blessing and and, and honor them and help point them to the truth of Christ uh, that you can you can if you're thinking through this as a thought experiment in your own head I, I imagine you can see how radically different that is versus I'm just going to read a bunch of books, take a bunch of notes, and then spout all that information off to them. You know, that relationally uh, uh, ignorant model that, that isn't concerned for people, but it's just information dumping on people. Uh, if you want to be effective in apologetics, let your love for people be the fuel and inspiration for how to go about doing this. Because uh, uh, as as you know, when Christ was asked to summarize the law, what is the greatest of these laws? He says, love God with everything you got, and then love your neighbors yourself. And I think those are in that order because loving God is first, because there, there are definitely times where, where 
we we have to pick and choose and we can't uh, love the world or we have to put relationships second to our relationship with God. Uh, but as a general rule, loving God is going to be our fuel, our inspiration naturally demonstrated in our love for others. And let apologetics be part of that relationship that you have with God. Let it let it flow out in truth and love, not just a bunch of truth bonds thrown at an unloving distance. Thank you so much, John, for those insights. And I completely agree with you. We have to be able to have the head knowledge to deal with the objections and to deal with all the information uh, as we do apologetics, but also to have the heart for the relationship in order to to reach people where they are. So with that being said, thank you all for listening to the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist midweek podcast with uh, Dr. John Ferrer and myself. And don't forget, if you want to become an apologist, we have the Cross-Examining Structure Academy happening July 27 to the 29 in Calvary Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. All you have to do is go to crossexamine.org, click on events, and you will say you will see CIA and you can apply. This academy is a three-day intensive training for you to become a better communicator of the field of apologetics. We actually assume that you already have some apologetics knowledge, but it is an experience that you will never forget. Also, download the cross-examine app, two words in the app store. We have a ton of awesome resources. We have a quick answer section there for you to start dialoguing with your friends intelligently uh, about apologetics topics. And as John says, make sure that you do it with love and truth. And if you want to catch this uh, podcast, both the weekend podcast and the midweek podcast on video, all you have to do is join the cross-examine community. It is not a free community, but it is an awesome place for you to be able to share your ideas. It's just like your own social media platform with all the cross-examine family in there. So all you have to do is go to crossexamine.org, click on CE community, and you will see a way to join. Thank you, John, for this time that you give us. Hopefully we'll get to uh, enjoy uh, uh, co-host the podcast again in the future. And don't forget to listen to this weekend podcast where Frank will be back. God bless.